My father saved his village at the cost of his own life. You had him shot as you ran away. A hero at a thousand paces. I'm sorry. I don't remember any of it. You don't remember? For you, the day Bison graced your village was the most important day of your life. But for me, it was Tuesday. It's only a model. Welcome to Welcome to Storybrooke. I'm Max. And I'm Tina. And I regret saying I enjoyed this season already. I really remember enjoying this season. I remember really liking the Dark Emma stuff. Maybe when that's in heavier focus. I mean, can I like get a little personal on the podcast? Yeah, of course. Watching this show together was one of the first things we were doing hanging out. And that's when this season was airing. Yeah. Do you think maybe that colored our viewing of it at the time? I don't know, because I really remember hating Henry a lot, and I kind of enjoyed his scenes in this episode. I, I think maybe our enjoyment of it was exaggerated and not clear-eyed. And our hatred of Henry was, again, exaggerated and not clear-eyed. Now that we are analyzing each individual episode as it comes, we're realizing that Henry is the unsung hero of this show. He really is, and... I mean, he's sung a lot, but not enough. Well, they have to keep pushing him in the background, because he is his father's son, which means that he has, again, I've made this joke before, but he has the greatest superpower of all. Common sense. God, I miss Neil. I miss Neil, too. Speaking of this season, we are on Season 5, Episode 2, The Price. Or Book 7, Chapter 2, It's Only a Model. Yes. Just to lay the groundwork for this season, the way the flashback structure is going to work is the story proper is in Storybrooke with full-blown evil Emma. Mm -hmm. Six months in the future. Six weeks. Six weeks in the future. And the flashbacks are going to be to that missing six weeks when they were in Camelot. Everyone's memories has been erased, except for Emma's. Hmm. And so we're getting what happened in Camelot is getting filled in for us. What what made Emma finally choose the dark side? What made Emma go full dark one? Probably the great hair and killer outfits. That's what I would that's what I would assume. Oh my god, Emma's outfits are so good as the dark I mean, basic black does really work on basically everyone. Yeah, I mean that's accurate. But she looks so good and they they have such great cuts for her and Yeah, she's bringing it this season. Mm. So this episode opens with the dwarves making haste to the town line because they are fucking out of here. Last episode, full-on evil Emma turned Sneezy into stone, so they've got him strapped to the top of their van. They're taking the statue of Sneezy everywhere they go. That just seems like it's inviting disaster. Right? Oof. It's making me think about the character in Hench Girl. Mm, yeah, Mannequin. Yeah, and when he shatters in mannequin form and then just to carefully glue him back together. Oh, it makes me think of the episode of Todd in the Book of Pure Evil with the uh, giant sentient penis who turns people who look directly at it into stone. 
Oh my. It's a fun show. Or that time in X-Men where Emma Frost got shattered when she was in diamond form and then Beast glued her back together piece by piece to bring her back to life. Uh, Jean did. Jean put her back together? Yes. Beast thought he could put her back together and Jean's like, yeah, no, let just let me do it. Oh, that makes much more sense. Yeah. And she kind of used the Phoenix Force to fudge it a bit because that really shouldn't have worked. The Phoenix Force is like duct tape. It'll just cover over all your mistakes. Hmm. Something doesn't make sense. Just well, let's... It was the Phoenix Force. It was the Phoenix. Superboy Prime was punching reality. Scarlet Witch did it. Phoenix Force did it. Yeah. The dwarves are doing the thing they do every season to establish why people can't leave the town, which is being... The people who establish why people can't leave the town? They really are the canaries in a coal mine. Yeah. Which seems right, since they're dwarves, right? They're the dwarves in the diamond mine. The way they decide who's going to go over the town line seems massively not fair because they do it through a round of not it, and since Dopey can't talk, he is chosen to go over the town line. Yeah, that's not cool. And he he does. He starts to go over the town line, even though the Charmings and Regina pull up in the sheriff car and are like, no, that's really dumb. Don't do that. No, Dopey's the best dwarf. He's so adorable. He is. He's wearing his... Little purple hat. Yeah. And... The Charmings and Regina pull up to be like, no, don't do that bad idea. And Regina's like, you know, we'll take care of this. We always take care of this. And the dwarves are like, um, actually, Emma always takes care of this. And now we're fighting Emma. So we're out of here. Not to um, actually them again, but um, actually Emma's taken out one big bad. She, she took out Regina in season one. But Snow took out Korra. Yeah, Rumpelstiltskin took out Peter Pan. Regina took out Zelina. And then Rumpelstiltskin finished her off. And Henry saved them all from the author. Henry saved them from the author. And I guess she shot Cruella. She pushed her off a cliff. She pushed Cruella off a cliff. But I mean... I mean, if anything, Hook... Hook got rid of Ursula. Right. Hook got rid of Ursula by... Giving her a happy ending. And the writers got rid of Maleficent because they just didn't care about her story enough. I mean, Maleficent's still there. Yeah. Apparently. I mean, maybe you could say Emma neutralized Maleficent by bringing Lily back to town. Yeah. So let's be generous and say Emma is responsible for two-thirds of the trio and Regina, who again, is still there. Yeah. Meanwhile, I think Rumple is the one who generally takes care of the big bads in this show, as we will see throughout the rest of this show. Emma does not have the best track record here. Well, in fairness, usually the big bads are there to fight Rumple, so yeah. it's the least he could do. But since this did happen, let's circle back to something that's going to be really important this season. Something annoying and dumb that's going to be really important this season. Mm-hmm. And that's that... Emma has gone from being the person who is destined to save everyone from the curse to the savior, capital T, capital S, some sort of born position that is an ongoing responsibility like the Slayer. Yeah, they've definitely shifted what the savior is. Initially, it really did seem like the savior's job was to break the curse and then that was it. Now it's like a gig with its own special powers. Is we, And we will see other saviors later in the show. But it, it's kind of strange because later in this episode, Emma will point out the savior is a curse-specific position. 
Right. She says that this curse, the curse they're under now, doesn't have a savior in it. Well, we'll see about that. Mm. But the dwarves are all very dismissive of Regina being the one to save them, which... Fuck them! Do you not remember how the Zelina... She she was the one who beat Zelina when Zelina was the big bad. Now, look, if your argument is, Regina, you're an evil queen, we kind of don't want to be in a position where we're relying on you, okay, that's fine. But Regina, you're not strong enough to save us? That's nonsense. Anyway. Uh, Dopey's wearing uh, purple camo pants. But he gets turned into a tree. You walk over the town line, you get turned into a tree. You you have enough time to give the double-fisted thumbs up, and then you get turned into a tree. He's a tree in the middle of the road. That's going to be bad. He's going to get hit by a car, and then they're not going to be able to undo the spell or whatever. Maybe they set up mystical barriers, or maybe Regina teleported him. Now, is he turned into a tree, or is he trapped inside a tree a la Merlin? Hmm. Huh. I don't think the plot really cares enough to answer that question. Fair enough. Also, isn't he, since he stepped outside of the town borders, isn't he in a world without magic now? Shouldn't he have not turned into a tree? Or maybe he's just a tree now. Yeah. Just a non-magical tree in the middle of the road. That doesn't bode well. No, that is not what you want to be. Anyway, we cut from that to Camelot six weeks ago. Yes, the, uh... Good guys? Right? Okay, the good guys are arriving at Camelot, and uh, we just have to address the big lie here, the lie that's going to come back to haunt them, I guess. See? They're going to Camelot because they've been told that Merlin can stop Emma from becoming truly evil, can take the darkness out of her. Small problem, Merlin has been turned into a tree, however... The prophecy said that these people were going to show up and rescue him from the tree. Oh, yeah, also now there's a prophecy. There's, Max, there's always a prophecy. Now, I have this odd thing with prophecy where I love characters that can see the future, but I hate prophecies as, like, a central part of any story. Really? Okay, wait, tell me why. It, it's lazy. It's... Oh, okay. See, I love prophecies when they're done right, which is super, super hard. A prophecy that's done right from a storytelling perspective is one where, at the end, everything that was prophesied make, makes perfect sense, but when it was told to you, it was completely misinterpreted. That's a well-done prophecy story. See, Harry Potter did a really good job with it. They did, and... I mean, this is... Yes, they did. And also, one of my favorite fan fictions is uh, Harry Potter and the Methods of Rationality. Mm. One of the things I really respect about it is that in that fan fiction, there are different prophecies than the ones in Harry Potter, but they still do the same job. They still are misinterpreted, but then make perfect sense at the end. And that's so difficult to do. Well, Dumbledore points out, like, the way the prophecies set up, it's A, self-fulfilling. The only reason it happens, the only reason it comes to pass is because it was shared with the people involved in it. Like, it, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. And B, it's something that would happen anyway. I mean, 
I think the the greatest prophecy in British literature and the one that should be the model for all prophecies going forward is yes you know i no man of woman born exactly i still think he should have got kicked in the head by a horse that would have been great you are you're aware right that tolkien wrote his uh books basically to make fun of the scottish play because he was really offended that he didn't get to see trees marching on the marching on the castle yeah and that's why he had a what's her face kill the witch king because right. he's like She's no, no it's... Ma- yeah no i am no man let's do that talking over each other yeah i am no man Right, no man of woman born. So obviously, a woman. I, yes. But all prophecies should aim to be the prophecies from the Scotch play. That's what I'm saying. These prophecies, by the way, that was a long digression. Like, that was a long way to go around to, these prophecies are not that. Yeah, no, this is... These prophecies are, Emma Swan will show up at 10 o'clock on Saturday. These prophecies are, like... Phone messages. This is my issue with the Percy Jackson books, which I have a lot of issues with. One of one of them being I'm too old to have read these books. I I found cheap audio books online. You don't have to justify yourself. I feel like I kind of have to, but I have listened to all of the first series, and half the books are just an oracle tells Percy exactly what to do, and then he does it. Like, I don't like when prophecy when prophecy guides the story to the degree of, okay, like you were saying, you have to be here at this time. It, it makes the characters seem like they have no free will. It, it Now, I mean, I just said that it was bad in this show, but I'm actually going to go back and forgive it a little bit only because Merlin lives through time backwards. So when he makes a prophecy, he's not making a prophecy. He's telling you a memory. One of the things I like about uh, prophetic characters, though, yeah, precogs, is that they're sort of just trying to guide things to the way they want things to be. You know, the original Philip K. Dick short story, Minority Report, that the movie's based on? By the way, I think that's an underrated movie, but the movie's very different from the short story. The point of the short story is that in the movie, they realize that you just can't use the precogs because it's bad. In the short story, they determined that the only reason the precogs didn't work in that instance is because he was aware of the prophecy and becoming, and prophecies are basically like, you know, Heisenberg's uncertainty utterances. Once you're aware of them, you will prevent them. Mm. So he's like, ah, the program works, just not for anyone who works here. Pretty convenient, I would say. Gee, no one who works in the pre-crime department can be accused of pre-crimes. Hmm. Oh my god, Once Upon a Time. Once Upon a Time, we were talking about this show, Once Upon a Time. Oh, right, we haven't even gotten to the thing we're angry about yet. When they got there, they lied to Arthur. See, the reason Arthur is happy to welcome them to his kingdom is because there's a prophecy that the savior will save Merlin from being a tree. Merlin has been stuck as a tree for dickety six years. But they're worried that Arthur will, I don't know, not welcome them if they know that Emma is the dark one now, even though the whole point of her coming there is to get Merlin to remove the darkness. 
So they lie to him instead of just telling him the situation, which seems like the obvious thing to do. Yeah, they tell him that Regina's the savior? Well, he's... I mean, she has magical powers, I guess, so... Well, the prophecy says that one of them is the savior, and Regina steps forward and says it's her because she knows that if Emma says it's her, then... At some point, Emma will be forced to use magic, and since all of the light magic has been pushed out of her by the dark oneness, we're assuming, I guess. Anytime she uses magic, it brings her closer to being the dark one now. So Regina's looking out for Emma by doing that. Uh, for real season six and Buffy here. Yeah. Magic's an addiction. Oh no. So Guinevere comes up like Arthur. They Arthur has brought. The good guys. We need a name for the team now because it's not just the Charmings. It's the and I refuse to call them the good guys. The Storybrooke Seven. Oh, let's not put numbers on things. I think we learned that last season. Well, I was going with the Superior Foes of Spider-Man thing where they called the team the Sinister uh, the Sinister Six, no matter how many people were actually on it. The uh, Cul-de-Sac Crew. The Cursed-de-Sac Crew. <laughs> I'm sorry, we've been watching Cougar Town. Let's just call them the Storybrooke Gang. The Storybrooke Gang. So, the Storybrooke Gang, which, let me remind you, is the Charmings, Emma, Regina, Henry, Baby Neil. Why'd they bring a baby? Zelina, who's pregnant and has the magic stopping bracelet on her hand. Granny. Granny. The dwarves. Some of the dwarves. The dwarves were still alive. The dwarves? Oh, wait, no, that's not true. Yeah, so just some of the dwarves. Some of the dwarves. And I think that's it. Hook? Did you say Hook? I didn't say Hook or Robin or uh, the most adorable child ever. Oh, yeah, they brought Roland, too. God. Anyway, Storybrook gang. Storybrook crew. Storybrook crew. So the whole Storybrook crew has been brought to Camelot to detreify Merlin. And King Arthur introduces them to his wife, who gets a really uh, extreme entrance. Extreme's probably the wrong word. Dramatic. Dramatic. She gets announced and she walks down the stairs in slow motion as everyone gapes at her open mouth as though this was some sort of 90s teen movie and she was the dork who just got a makeover. They're like, this is the most beautiful woman we've ever seen. And she's pretty, but so is like every other woman on this show. Yeah, she's the same level of TV gorgeous as everyone else. Which, by the way, is super gorgeous. Yeah. But, you know. So, Zelina tells Regina... I'm going to tell on you, and then they're going to throw you into the decapitation dungeon, and Regina takes away her voice. Yeah, Regina, like, well, I don't, Regina force chokes her, and is like, what? I can't hear you. They're so sisters right there. I think she did take away Zelina's voice, though. Oh, uh, Ariel style? Yeah, which we've seen her do before in the past. Regina sometimes remembers that she can basically do whatever she wants. Yeah, that's true. So... We should talk a little bit about David and Arthur meeting each other and also put in a little notation here that this season is gay baiting even by Once Upon a Time standards. I feel like they heard a lot of the jokes people were making on the internet about David following bearded men with eyeliner into the woods and they just ran with it. I mean, David's relationship with King Arthur in this season is romantic in nature in every way that matters other than being acknowledged by the show it's honestly it's offensive it's offensive that the show is not acknowledging that this is just a romantic relationship well david is married sort of i guess i know but you know that's not what it's about yeah 
Anyway, Hook is like, I thought Merlin was a super powerful wizard. How did he let him get himself turned into a tree? And Arthur's like, that's a question for another time. So, why are you here again? And David explains that their land is being threatened by something called the Dark One. Which I guess is technically accurate. Um, since David mentions that, we should probably bring up that Camelot is in the Enchanted Forest. Therefore, Camelot would have had as much experience with Rumpelstiltskin as any other place in the Enchanted Forest. So it's weird that they're acting like the Dark One's influence wouldn't have reached to Camelot. Especially since Merlin's the one who, like, has the power to control the Dark One. So clearly this place knows about the Dark One. It's just a symptom of the Storybook Crew's smugness, you know? Oh, we're dealing with a great demon. We call it the Dark One. Yeah, asshole! We know about the Dark One. We were fighting Dark Ones when you were still herding sheep. Yeah, and the Dark One also, like, goes into other realms all the time and does stuff. Like, I just... I just... Anyway, back in the present day, Hook goes into Rumple's shop to confront Belle and is like, Hey, quick question. You're... Boyfriend, husband, the love of your life is the Dark One? Why didn't True Love's kiss fix him? And she's like, well, it almost did, but then he was like, oh, I prefer, you know, being super powerful to love. So he scaled back his love the tiniest bit. It was a real Angelus situation. It's actually kind of sad that Hook is forcing Belle to admit that true love's kiss didn't work because they lack true love. She mentions that it's not a curse if the person embraces it. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. So was Rumpel still a little bit fighting the Dark One when she almost cured him that one time? I think she's speaking more metaphorically. Like, you can't use true love's kiss to cure someone of something they didn't want to be cured of because they're choosing to not be cured. So... Hook goes off to find Emma. Because Hook's like, oh, no worries. I've got true love. This surely won't backfire and make me super sad. And uh, Belle's like, well, good luck. Don't get your dick ripped off. We cut from that to Henry saying Emma's name three times to summon her because he's read the book. He knows what the deal is. Yep. Out on the docks, Henry is summoning Emma. And he kind of pulls away from her. She bamps up and she's she's happy to see him. Yeah. Okay. Here's the thing about Emma in this part of the season. Her family is not responding correctly to her being the Dark One. I'm going to go ahead and just put that out there. But also, she's being so melodramatic. She has no right to expect them to behave properly when she's just out there chewing up the scenery. I don't know what she expects them to act like when she's acting like pure evil. Yeah, she's kind of leaning into the Dark One thing too hard. The thing is, you can't show up and be like, I am the Dark One. And then when your son summons you, be like, hey, kiddo, how's it going? You can't expect him to switch gears like that. He pulls away from her and she's like, I'm not mad at you. Like, we're cool. I'm just mad at everyone else in the Storybrooke crew. Mostly your dumbass grandparents. Mm, for a change. But Regina's like, hey... Get away from my kid. Okay, so this scene between them, I mean, I know they're fighting, but 
They are acting more like lovers in this scene than they ever have before. It's super sexy. They're sort of setting the stage for the new status quo. I was like, he's my son too. We're back to the season one dynamic, but we're in each other's roles now. And uh, look, you're not going to you're not going to be the savior. You're not going to save this town. Um, But Emma says it like super archly, you know, you're not the savior. I built this curse without a savior. There's nothing you can do. Regina's all, you think I don't have it in me? And Emma's like, I know you don't. They're doing like the sexy, low talking fighting. And, you know, part of me feels like Emma is saying this specifically to encourage Regina to become the savior. So Grumpy and... A different dwarf. Oh my god, it's so embarrassing that we don't know the dwarves at this point. We really shouldn't. Is it happy? I'm gonna go with that's happy. Yeah. So, Grumpy and Happy have just relocated Dopey as a tree. That's why they have their pickaxes. How did they do that? Without going over the town line. I don't know. But they're trying to figure out what to feed him. Nothing. He's a tree. I mean, they even say that. They say trees eat sunlight. And Grumpy's like, but don't be like tacos. So should we just, like, shove tacos into whatever tree hole he has? I really feel like Dopey is being treated like Naldo and best friends whenever. As the experiment horse for the smarter characters? Yes. Poor Dopey. No, seriously. They relocated him from where he was off screen. But how? That needs to be adequately explained. Well, it's just so that they'll have their uh, pickaxes, because as we know, pickaxes do everything in this show. Well, they're magic. They are magic. The dwarves' pickaxes are magic. They're like super magic. But what they can't be used against is horses. I thought you were going to say what they can't be used against is plot. Mm. Yeah, some horses with knights on it show up, and they just threaten to kill these knights, and it's like, dude... Way to escalate the situation. Right? I mean, Grumpy goes immediately, he lunges at one of the horses with a pickaxe. And it's only because somebody kind of tosses him to the side that he doesn't decapitate or not, I guess not decapitate. He doesn't puncture the skull of King Arthur's horse because, hey, look, King Arthur's here. And King Arthur isn't being aggressive. King Arthur's like, hey, I'm a king and I have no idea where I am right now. Because King Arthur and his knights and all of the subjects of Camelot have been brought over in the curse, it turns out. I do kind of like the exchange. It's a little labored on King Arthur's part, but Grumpy's like, don't you know you don't mess with a dwarf and King Arthur- A dwarf with a pickaxe. Don't you know you don't mess with a dwarf with a pickaxe? And King Arthur's like, don't you know you're supposed to kneel before a king? King Arthur is sexually aggressive in this show. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So they bring the sexually aggressive king to... David. No, no, they they actually bring him to Regina because Regina is mayor now. Okay, just real quick here. Part of the conflict of this episode is that... Nobody trusts Regina to lead. Even though Mary Margaret was in charge for 12 hours and the town descended into Mad Max-style anarchy. So you know what? Maybe have the tiniest bit of faith. And as we will see a little bit later, when we see a little more of Emma's curse, 
Regina actually did a pretty solid job designing a town. Oh, I can't wait to talk about that real quick. I know we were coming down on her hard for, you know, the town not having really good infrastructure or anything, but, I mean, she basically did everything in the town, so... Also, I mean, I know we came down hard on her for it, but considering that she was raised in a pseudo-medieval society... She set up a modern town pretty well. Anyway, they bring King Arthur to Regina's office, and David is there, and David's like... Oh, dude, I have no memory of what happened right before we got to Camelot, but I do know that we totes lied to you. Well, he remembers everything up until they stepped over the threshold in Camelot. Right, everything until the last moments of the last episode. Hmm. So he remembers lying to Arthur. But they're like, okay, we're going to tell you the truth now. Our daughter, Emma's the Dark One. We were trying to stop her from going full Dark One by finding Merlin, but apparently that didn't work because she's full Dark One now. And we know that because she cursed everyone and that's why we're all here. And he's like, oh, okay, easy solution. Just give me the dagger so that we can defeat her. And they're like, we would never do that. She's our daughter and we love her and believe in her and want to save her. And also she has the dagger. Yeah, not a little bit burying the lead there. But Robin Hood runs up and he's like, hey, you know how I live in the woods like some sort of filthy mountain person? I'm glad you said that. Sorry, finish your sentence. Well, I was doing my, you know, filthy mountain man thing. And suddenly there was like 500 other people because that's how many people are in Camelot. Everyone from Camelot is in my woods and I don't like it. Make them stop. Do they not have enough houses in Storybrooke? Because they set up tents in the woods for everyone. That's a good question. I mean, everyone's constantly finding new giant empty houses. The town grows and shrinks as needed. Emma finds a giant empty house in this episode. Yeah, so weird. I'm not implying all mountain men are dirty. It's just... uh, Also, if you want to live in the woods, live in the woods. Yeah. It just feels like they made 500 people live in the woods without giving them an option. Yeah. I also still don't know why Robin Hood wants to live in the woods. Regina has a really big house. You know what? I don't know why either, but I'm not questioning it because the less I have to see him, the better. Mm. So he's like, so can you guys take care of that? And David's like, wait, wait, wait. You want me... To go into the woods with King Arthur. And Robin's like, I I guess. And David shoves his wife out of the way. Goes spreading out the door. Holding hands with King Arthur. Yeah, basically. Also, Regina drops the bomb that Emma has given her. Which is that something is coming to Storybrooke that only a savior can handle. And Regina is no savior. Yes, she's telling this to Mary Margaret, who is getting up off the floor after her husband, you know, shoved her out of the way. So, back in the flashback. We uh, spend a long time looking at a fake-ass CGI castle. It's only a model. It's only a CGI model. Emma's in a tower, and she is not happy with Regina. Because when Regina went forth to claim saviorness in front of King Arthur and Guinevere, she used the dagger to stop Emma from doing it first. And Regina's like, I needed to do that. We need to, for some reason, keep the fact that you're the Dark One a secret? I don't know why everyone's lying when it would be so much simpler to tell the truth. But Regina does tell Emma to shut up and listen, inadvertently using the dagger again. And it's not cool to use a dagger against people, but it's really funny when she's like, oh, that's nice. 
She tells Emma that the reason she did it is because if Arthur thought that she was the savior, he would ask her to save Merlin. Emma would have to use dark magic, and as we saw the last time she used magic, she went all evilly and nearly killed Merida, which would have saved us from a whole lot of unnecessary subplots, so... Mm. But... Yeah, so who's the real dark one here? But murder is bad for now. Remember that. Murder is a bad thing for now. Regina also says that she wasn't lying because she's going to save Merlin. Because Regina is down to become a savior now. Also, Regina actually has a lot of, like, magic knowledge. So this might have been a job that was better suited to her anyway. It definitely was. I mean, this is theoretically not about raw power. This would be about specific spellcraft. Absolutely. So Emma's like, you know what? I get it. You, you were right. I'm sorry. And Regina's like, yeah, we're, we're cool. It's all fine. So in the present, they're getting the forest set up for people to live in it, which, again, seems unnecessarily uncomfortable when you have a whole town to stick people in. But all right, whatever. Granny could probably use the business. She still has that bed and breakfast. Yeah, she's got the bed part of her bed and breakfast. So Regina's having sads towards Robin Hood because no one believes in her and no one thinks she can protect the town because no one remembers how the Zelina season ended. And Robin's like, everyone knows you're not evil anymore. And Regina's like, I'm sorry, have you not met Mary Margaret? Not being evil does not equal being competent. Yes. I mean, not that Mary Margaret is not evil, but you know, you get what I'm saying. Yeah, she's like, people don't see me as the evil queen, but they also don't see me as a leader, which is weird because everyone was basically banging down your door to be mayor again. Well, Mary Margaret was. A- Shouldn't Emma be mayor? Yeah, Emma should be mayor. I thought that was the deal. You cast the curse, you get to be mayor. Anyway, elsewhere in the forest, Guinevere reunites with Arthur. And her hand immediately goes to his sword. You mean his empty sheath. Yes, because Excalibur is missing. And David, who was lurking around, is like, Oh, you lost your sword? Don't worry, mate, I'll find it. I'll help you find your sword. I'm good at finding swords. And King Arthur's like, How do you know about Excalibur? And then David's all smug like, you're kind of a legend out here, man. Licks his lips. Okay, but can we can we just briefly dissect that? Mm. David has the knowledge of the King Arthur stories. Yes. Lancelot is a person who was personally known to Mary Margaret, at least. Lancelot officiated David and Mary Margaret's secret first wedding. Lancelot was around when David's mom died. So when David got the knowledge of the King Arthur legends from our realm into his head, he didn't think about that and go, huh, that's weird at all? He didn't wonder about any of that? I mean, that's really in keeping with David. Fair enough. Meanwhile, Robin Hood is picking up sticks when a very cool special effect grabs him. Ah, but like the shark in Jaws, it's a cooler special effect the less we see of it. When it's just this sort of weird floating... Shadow? It's It almost looks like the shadow cast by the trees come to life. It's very cool. It's sort of this fairy-esque thing. It's got these... Like a dark fairy. Like a dark fairy. It's got these like tattered wings and it's got these long claw-like hands that's holding over its face. It's very cool and creepy, and then it... Then it moves its hands to reveal its very, very CGI'd face. It's not terrible for television. It still looks pretty cool. I mean, I have a high tolerance for fake-looking CGI when it comes to fantasy shows, so it's fine. Still looks better than the monster from Darkness Falls. 
They'll call it a fury later, and that is in fact what it looks like, so we should probably just start calling it a fury. Yes, but its role is slightly different than the furies from myth. We'll get into that. Anyway, back in the main town square of Storybrooke, Hook is all having a sad on top of Emma's Volkswagen Beetle, and he's like, Emma, where are you? I don't want to summon you because that would be sad for me to have to summon you, but I wish you were here. And she's like, I heard your sadness, and it drew me to you. Here I am. And she bamps him to her fancy new house. She's wearing a different black outfit than she was wearing before. I think she just took off the jacket that was over it. She's just wearing tight black pants and a black tank top. She looks so good. God damn, she looks good. Before she had a black trench coat with a high collar on over it. Mm. Like a, not even really a trench coat, like a fitted long coat. Anyway, she bamps him to her, her, her blue craftsman house with a white picket fence. It literally has a white picket fence because Emma just wants to play house with Hook. They go in the house and Hook's all like, why aren't you being all creepy and evil at me? And Emma's like, um, I'm still your girlfriend. Yeah, just because I'm the dark one doesn't mean we have to change our relationship. I'm sorry, did you think that my new evil persona meant we were going to bone less? Hook notices a door with a massive, massive lock on it, and Emma goes full Chief Wiggum here. What is your fascination with my forbidden closet of mystery? It just has all of my dead ex-husbands in it. Don't worry. She stops him from going in with a glass of... Rum. Let's go with rum. She says the fastest way to a man's heart is through his liver. And he's like, I think the fastest way is through a slightly different organ. He means the penis. But he starts making out with her and he's disappointed because he's like, wait, you're not undark wanting. Yeah, she's like, oh, I thought we were going to bone. I didn't know you had ulterior motives. She's specifically, you were talking to Belle. Ah. Uh, yeah. And I mean, she doesn't say it, but my thought is, really, dude, you didn't think that in six weeks it didn't occur to you to try to use true love's kiss? I mean, it's one of those things where you'd be kicking yourself if it turned out that was the answer. But seriously, dude, I'm sure you tried true love's kiss back in Camelot. Anyway, it turns out that was a real evil lady boner killer because she's like, look, I've got other stuff going on. It's nice that you tried. I don't have beef with you, but I've got other things to do. So, like, if you want to make out, fine. But if you're trying to stop me, out. Yeah, and she's like, look, I'm just evil now. Now do you want to bone evil, Emma? Or do you want to go back to the Charmings? And for some reason, Hook is like, I guess I'll go back to the Charmings. Ugh. Yeah, right? Anyway, back in the woods, the Storybook crew are chasing after the Fury. Which has scooped up Robin and is flying around with him. Yeah. she to- It tosses him to the ground temporarily just so it can fight Regina, who does not make a good show of things. Yeah, it's weird that it felt like it needed to have a fight sequence when it already had achieved its goal, which was capturing Robin. Yeah, it drops Robin just so Regina can throw a a few fireballs at it, and then it tosses Regina into a tree, grabs Robin, and flies off again. Yeah, just like David had to learn that swords don't work on magical creatures, Regina has to learn that for a lot of dark creatures, fire is ineffective as well. 
Which is odd. You'd think like a light thing. I would think a creature that was designed to drag you to hell would definitely be immune to fire. Mm, Good point. She... Anyway. I wish wish she'd remembered that she can use light magic because this seems like the sort of situation where it would come in handy. Light magic probably would have repelled that fury, but it's not what instinctively comes to her when she throws up her hands. Mm. And when you're fighting, it's all about instincts. Telekinesis also might have been a better option here. Yes. Or she could have just grabbed Robin and teleported away. Yeah. Although the Fury probably would have found him again eventually. Yeah, but it would have bought time. Anyway, Mary Margaret, determined to always be the least helpful person in any given situation, tells them all to stop pursuing the Fury so they can deal with Regina's possible concussion. Yeah, they need to take her to the hospital. You know... You're you're in a chase! You're in the middle of a chase! And... She got thrown against a tree. Like, if this was real life, yeah. But this is like a Tuesday for Regina. But also, maybe you can wait five minutes until you're done rescuing Robin Hood before you have to take her to the hospital. Especially since this whole, like, chasing the Fury and rescuing Robin Hood is kind of time sensitive. Hmm. Hmm. Anyway, she's like, no, since you're not going to let me fight, leave me, go get him. And we go back to the flashback where Robin and Regina are looking at the tree that contains slash possibly is Merlin. Yep, Regina's just staring at it trying to figure out what to do when Percival shows up with a necklace. And he says, hey, since you're the savior, the king wanted to give you this magical necklace. I mean, regular necklace. This really pretty regular necklace. Okay, here's the deal. If you show up in any kingdom and tell the ruler that you are a powerful magical caster and he's like oh here wear this jewelry don't wear the jewelry it's a trap it's always a trap yeah regina you you've seen the anti-magic cuff you have it on zelina it was right now you're using it right now but regina's all like oh it's pretty and immediately puts it on and goes back to staring at the tree oh see this is why you shouldn't have become a protagonist You're right. Now she's got those protagonist blind spots. So David and Mary Margaret are getting ready to go to the ball that Arthur is throwing in their honor. And they've tossed their baby at one of the doors. Doc. Doc, because he's the one with medical training. And they were like, if if you want, we could uh, get Granny to do this. I'm sure she's not, you know, I'm sure she doesn't have anything better to do. Plus, as a woman, she'd probably be better taking care of the baby. And Doc's like, no. No, I just don't make me do stuff. Just get rid of me in this scene. I think they kind of straight up forget Doc is there later. Well, that's good because then they can just ignore the baby. Mm. So Regina shows up and they're like, oh, you should get dressed for the ball. And she's like, I'm not going to foxtrot at Club Medieval, which... Weak wordplay, Regina. Not only is it weak wordplay, but it's weird because in case y'all have forgotten, Regina is from here. Why is she making modern World Without Magic references in the place that is her home? So Regina is fairly adamant about not going to the dance. Emma's been the dark one for like a day and she almost accidentally killed a couple of people. Like this is probably something they should work on now. But Mary Margaret's like, nope, don't believe you. And Regina's like, no, it's it's true. I need to work on detreeing Merlin. And Mary Margaret's like, no, nope. Don't believe you. What's really going on, Regina? What's really going on? This can't be about you just wanting to do good things. 
And then Regina says that it's because she can't dance. And since she doesn't know how to dance, they're going to know she's not the savior. You know what? Let's ignore the nonsense of that, even though that is nonsense. And focus on the other nonsense that would be Regina not knowing how to dance. She was raised by her mother to be a social climber. Of course she knows how to dance. I mean, Cora knew how to dance. When she was a Miller's daughter, these are definitely skills she's going to pass on to someone she wants to be. Queen bitch of the universe? Yeah. Yeah, I I guess, I mean, she was going to be a regular queen because, you know, she was Cora's daughter and Cora was queen. I, I guess Cora wanted her to be queenier? Sure. She definitely should know how to dance, though. They try to explain how it could be that Regina doesn't know how to dance, even though we've seen her at balls. And she's all like, well, Leopold only wanted to dance with his daughter and not with me, which is, well, first of all, it doesn't make sense because she would have known how to dance. But also, it's nice to remind Snow that she led a privileged life and Regina was child married to Snow's father after Snow got her lover killed. Although at least it's a good thing to remind Snow of every now and then. Hmm. Although at least it doesn't seem like Leopold was interested in Regina at all. So that's the upside to this, baby. I don't know. Anyway, they're going to teach Regina to dance and it's going to be super cute. And the first thing about learning how to dance is that you can't wear something practical and comfortable like a pantsuit. Are pantsuits comfortable? Depends on the pantsuit. So Regina bamps into her evil queen dress. I think it's an extra evil queen dress. It's got super pointy shoulders. Yeah, it's got pointy shoulders in addition to the high collar. And so it's like, um, that yeah, that's too much cleavage for a savior. Yeah, she's like, you need to dress a little less evil. And Regina basically poofs herself into the same dress that Snow's wearing. And she's like... Do you, do you really want to invite the comparison here? Come on. Snow's like, oh, that's perfect. But I do like the idea that Regina was just mocking her when she bamped into that dress. They start up a music box. A music box that's just handily sitting in the corner. And David starts teaching Regina how to waltz. And he leans close to the magic necklace that Percival gave her. And he says... Boy, nobody will be able to tell that you're not actually the savior and instead are the evil witch queen from, you know, the Enchanted Forest. And then we cut to Percival spying on her through the necklace and he's all like, I knew it. And it all looks very sinister, even though they're the ones lying. They're the ones lying. And as we will find out later in the episode, Percival isn't really in the wrong here. Poor Percival, he gets really screwed. We'll talk about that. Yeah. So So I guess Snow and David are done teaching Regina how to dance because now Snow has decided it's time to mother Emma. Yeah, and she's talking about how awesome her first ball was, the lights, the music, her mom dropping dead halfway through it. Yeah, and she's like, I can't wait to introduce you to balls, Emma. And Emma's like, well, that sounds really interesting. But also, I've already been to my first ball as Princess Leia two seasons ago. Do we not remember that? We do not. 
So they head down to the ball and are introduced as Lady Emma and Lady Mary Margaret. She's not going by Queen Snow. Well, they would know who Snow White was since this is the Enchanted Forest. Yeah. They're both wearing white and Emma's gown in particular has bell sleeves. And she's also wearing a flower crown. Like, they look like wedding dresses. And then Regina gets introduced, and the scene doesn't really spend enough time on it. I think everyone's supposed to be ooing and aahing at her being pretty, super gorgeous, and not evil. Yes. Oh no, it's 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 Lana Perea looking gorgeous in a slightly different outfit from the outfit she usually wears, where she's super gorgeous. I have to say, it has the same problem though as when they try to make her act like she's sixteen. She looks gorgeous. She's never not going to look gorgeous. But I'm not blown away at her looking innocent. I mean, if anything, I want to see her in that evil queen dress again because it looked great. I mean, her savior dress looks fine. Actually, you know what she looks really good in is the outfit she returns from Camelot in. The red dress that Emma wore as Leia, speaking of. Yes. In Storybrooke, Regina goes to yell at Rumpelstiltskin's corpse because he made her the evil queen and that's why no one trusts her now. Hey. Oh, you should clarify. He's not dead yet. He's just mostly dead. Yeah. He's in a coma or something, but not in the hospital in the coma ward. What are they going to do for him? His heart is turning evil. Well, it's not anymore because they sucked all the evil out of it. Then... So his heart is full of nothing, maybe? I I don't know. But Regina yells at him for turning her into the evil queen and making it so no one trusts her, which, come on. Fair enough. Give your mom some credit here. Oh, it's true. Cora did a lot of work to turn her evil. And let's not forget about our public schools. There's a lot of formative causes here. Anyway, Belle comes in acting all Watcher Jr. And is like, hey, look what I discovered in this book. I found the Book of Exposition. And it's telling us that the creature that attacked you was a fury. Someone used magic and didn't pay up because, as you may remember, magic always comes with a price. Wait, have they established that? Uh, I think it may have come up once or twice, like maybe in season one. So magic always comes with a price? Magic does always come with a price. Interesting. But apparently this was some big freaking magic. It was magic that brought someone to life. Uh, We do know that that's what it is, but that's not what she says. She says it's magic whose price was a life. Okay, magic whose price was a life, and that price wasn't paid, so now it needs a life in exchange, and it took Robin because he's the most plot significant, I guess. Now, we're going to find out later in this episode what the spell was whose price was a life, but I think they were trying to imply that it was the casting of the curse whose price hadn't been paid. Hmm. Because remember, the casting of the curse required a life. Yes. It requires you to crush the heart of the thing you love the most. Although, you know what? David and Mary Margaret never paid that price, so maybe the Fury should be coming for them and their fucking loopholes. Yeah. Although, the rule is magic always comes with a price. But the sub-rule should be magic loves a loophole. Mm. Yeah, we haven't really seen Regina pay much of a price for, like, those fireballs she's always throwing. I mean, maybe she has, like, Really painful hemorrhoids. Boy, we went different directions there. What's really funny is I was actually going to say maybe they give her, like, GI issues. But I would never say that about Lana Perea, so I changed it to headaches because it's a pretty sickness. Uh... I went for something that burns. But that's not a pretty sickness. 
Latapria can only be affected with pretty sicknesses. Those fireballs are giving her consumption. (laughs) (laughs) Just like pale skin and a couple of drops of blood on the lips. So back in Camelot, Belle is not enjoying this ball. She is not the Belle of this ball. Oh! Because she's spending all of her time sadly looking at her dead fiance? No, dead husband, Rose? Ex-husband. I mean, estranged husband. Yes, her dead estranged husband who she still loves, Rose. And Leroy is all like, hey, you see that flower is half dead, but I see it as half undead. Yeah. Leroy is like, hey, they're not shelling out money for Amy Acker to come back to this show. You want to dance? And Belle's like, eh, okay. He's not going to become any less dead by me staring at this rose. So throughout this whole scene, they're playing a lot of music in the background, and I kept trying to place all of the songs. And who knows, maybe by the time we edit this, I will again and actually put in what songs they are. I'm not sure if they're Disney songs being played on medieval instruments or if they're medieval standards being played. They sound really familiar to me, but that might just be because I've gone to a lot of Ren Fairs. So this da- is real Ren Fair world up in here. Mm-hmm. So David sees Henry staring at a girl like a creeper, and he's like, "Hey." You need some advice creeping? Because I used to capture girls in nets for fun, so I know what I'm talking about. Plus, yeah. I love falling dudes into the woods. Yeah, nothing better than getting pickup advice from your grandfather. Mm. Anyway, he's like, hey, you're a stud here because you're foreign and mysterious, and also in this world, kids can drink. So take these shots over to that hot underage girl And figure it out. So Henry brings a drink over to Violet and he's like, so having fun? And she's like, not really. Basically, balls are all we do here. So So Eh. I'm super bored because we do this every week. And he's like, yeah, your music is stupid too. Check out my iPod Nano. Check out my iPod Nano. It was a gift from the Savior for uh, undoing an evil alternate reality. So first of all, convenient that he wants to like put himself out there so he's like the savior gave it to me instead of you know the savior's my mom yeah but also i like which would be true in either case i know right but also i like the idea that he saved the world and regina was like good job henry here's an ipod nano (laughs) like when you're a kid and you go to the dentist and your parents buy you a toy afterwards yeah you know save the world Bring home all A's. Tomato, tomato. Right? (laughs) But how much is an iPod? Regina's rich. An iPod Nano's like... No, I'm saying it's a small reward for saving the world! Uh... He should have a new iPod Nano every week! Also, they should make the iPod Nano again. It was was a good design. Yeah, I had one that, like, straight up died. Like, total brick. Same here. I used it as long as I could. But Henry's got a fair amount of game for someone who's from the family he's from. I'm guessing he gets it from Neil. Or Regina. Neil managed to turn a carjacking into a long-term relationship. Regina does not do that hot. Neil's pretty smooth. Yeah. But Henry uses the magic of technology to impress Violet. Yeah, and I think she's also pretty impressed by modern music. Yeah, it's, I feel like this song has been used before in this show. I mean, we could look it up. We could. But we're not going to. Yeah. 
So Percival cuts in on Regina and Robin dancing. And he's like, hey, why don't I tell you a little story as we're dancing? See, I'm not from Camelot. I'm from the Enchanted Forest, which apparently Camelot's in, but meh. And one day I was out doing peasant shit, you know, picking up sticks, looking at birds and whatnot. And when I was heading back to my village, it was sort of on fire. And everyone was all screaming and dying. And there was this lady who was, you know, setting people on fire with her mind and pointing and laughing. And that lady seems kind of like she might have been you. Also, I was freaked out and she saw me and laughed. Yeah, so I know you're not really the savior, and I'm not big on you burning down this new home I've created for myself, so I'm going to kill you. I mean... He's not technically... I mean, we love Regina, but he's not really in the wrong here. I mean, she was an evil queen, and she did burn down his village. That's all correct. Yeah, and... Honestly, he's sort of doing his duty as the knight of as a knight of this realm by stopping her from murdering everyone in this castle. From his point of view, he's protecting his castle and his court from an evil queen who showed up in disguise for unknown reasons. Yeah. He's really not the bad guy here. And how is he rewarded for that? He pulls a sword on Regina. And Robin Hood jumps in to defend her, so now he's got Robin Hood by sword point. And David swoops in and fucking murders him with a sword. Yeah, he he just straight up skewers the guy. It feels like it's been a while since we've seen David murder someone. I mean, yeah, David straight up murdered him. Uh, plot significant thing, uh, before he dies, Percival gets a shot in at Robin Hood, and now Robin Hood's bleeding to death on the floor too. Yeah. You know, because Robin jumped in the way of Percival trying to, you know... Skewer Regina. Trying to save his kingdom from the woman who burned his hometown to the ground. If this was an RPG, he'd be the protagonist. Percival's story is so fucking tragic from beginning to end. Yeah. Yeah. So, Robin Hood's dying, I guess. Or whatever. Anyway, back in the present, Regina now aware of what a fury is, is furious. Yeah, she she bursts into Emma's house and she's like, okay, we need to have a talk because what you did was super uncool. And Emma's like, it's not what I did. This is all on you. Yeah, Emma tells Regina that Regina is the one who failed to pay a price for magic. And Regina's the one who has to deal with this thing now. She says... I'm not cleaning up your messes anymore, which is great. I like that Regina believes her. I mean, Emma is telling the truth and Regina immediately knows it. Regina doesn't remember what happened in those six weeks, but she does believe that she is the one who cast a spell and and failed to pay the price. Yeah. Also, Emma has this great line about how it's traditional uh, to bring a gift to a housewarming like wine. But since she didn't bring wine, I guess we could just... Drink your rage. She says we could bottle your rage and drink it. So, back in medieval times, Regina can't heal Robin because the uh, sword Percival stabbed Robin with was specifically an anti-Regina's magic sword, which is very specific, but okay. Yeah, it was enchanted to kill her, so her magic can't heal its damage. But Emma's 
could. Yeah. So is Percival's corpse just, like, they took Robin into the kitchen. Is Percival's corpse still in the dance hall? I don't know. There should be way more fallout than there has been. Like, why is the rest of the court not freaking out that their knight just got skewered? Their knight who is King Arthur's left-hand man? Because he was one of the people who was there when uh, King Arthur was looking for Excalibur. In the actual story of the Round Table, Percival is his most honorable knight he was the only one who could look directly at the holy grail right yes although none of them were righteous enough to actually find it percival was the one who was righteous enough to see it anyway emma has to use her dark one magic to save robin hood is robin hood worth turning evil for she has this whole long conversation with the manifestation of the dark one and everyone's like, what are you doing? Because she's having a conversation at thin air. Did she not tell anyone about seeing the manifestation of the Dark One? No, because she didn't want them. She didn't want to sound like she was slipping so fast into evil. It would help them to know what she's fighting against, though. It really would. But it- she's like, never mind. Ignore it. I'll, I can heal him. <laughs> magic. Yeah, she uses her dark magic to heal, which... You'll remember from season one is a thing dark magic totally does. Yeah. Remember back in the early bits of the show where the only people we ever saw healing people were, you know, dark magic users? It's still happening. Emma heals him in like a second. Way better than she ever did when she had light magic. I know it's because the dark one's powers are more powerful, but still. And then she totally freaking makes out with Hook because using dark magic makes you horny? Uh, yeah. Did you not know that? And Hook's like, not here, not in front of your parents. And Mary Margaret's like, yeah, we're the only ones who can have sex in front of family members. It's so creepy. Yeah. Emma wanders off. She's like, I feel kind of lightheaded. I need to lie down. And the Dark One's like, ooh, using dark magic feels good, doesn't it? And she's like, She's like, yeah, did you not see me, like, wrap my legs around Hook when I was done? Did you think that was just because I was overcome by his manly pirate musk? And Rumpel points out that the darkness is spreading because her skin is kind of shiny. Yeah, even though full-on evil Emma does not have shiny skin. There is a reason for that, though, which we'll get to. Yeah, we don't find it out this episode, though. Uh, Back in Storybrooke, okay, I mean, Max, I feel like we already blew our... This show is really ripping off the visuals of Dementors load early mm. because this show is really ripping off the visuals of Dementors. The Fury looks so cool here. It's taken Robin to Oh, the edge of a lake? I specifically think it's the edge of the lake that Emma had her talk with uh, Henry about Neil's death at. I think you're right. The Fury is drawing out Robin's essence. Yeah. It's a very Dementor moment, even though the Fury doesn't actually look anything like a Dementor. But the visuals in this scene are really good. There's this one establishing bit where Robin's laying on the ground and the Fury's just kind of hovering over him. It's like a mid-shot. And it's just, it's such a pretty shot. Uh, The shots in this sequence are really gorgeous. And across the water, we see... um, Charon. Charon, yeah. Across the water, we see Charon, the the ferryman, come to take Robin's soul once the Fury has extracted it. You know, and they don't even really acknowledge that that's what it is. Yeah, it, it's very subtle, which works. I've actually heard people call him Sharon, 
which I'm sure isn't correct, but I can't honestly dispute it because it's one of those things I've read and haven't really heard out loud. We'll ask a Greek person later. The Fury is drawing out his essence, which is purple. So that's fun. I I, I think the Fury's magic is purple. Yeah. Anyway, Regina's like, no, take me instead. And the Fury just immediately turns to her. Like, okay, whatever. (laughs) One soul's the same as another to me. And then Mary Margaret's like, wait, something wasn't about me for 15 seconds. Take my stole instead, too. And they pull a The End of the Dark Phoenix Saga and the X-Men, the animated series. I was going to say it's the end of Guardians of the Galaxy 1. Yeah. Mary Margaret grabs onto Regina. Grumpy grabs onto Mary Margaret. David grabs onto Regina's other hand. And King Arthur grabs onto David's hand. Because for once, David has found someone who actually wants to go into the woods with him. Yeah, he has. Anyway, the Fury presumably sucks out just a A fifth. Yeah, a fifth of all of their souls. So they're all okay still. They're all going to die like 10, 20 years earlier. Eh. It's fine. It's once upon a time. They might get killed way earlier than that anyway. Mm, mm, mm. So Robin's not dead. And he's like, look, there's some people who believe in you after all. And Regina kisses him. So he'll, you know, stop talking. He was laying out there for a long time. He had lots of time to come up with a better you just rescued me line, but whatever. You know who probably actually needs to go to the hospital? Robin. Is there medical treatment in Storybrooke for a fury almost sucked out my soul but didn't? He got dropped a lot, I mean. Oh yeah, that's true. Yeah, he probably does also have a concussion. Anyway, Leroy's like, okay, so... We totally believe you can save us now. We are on board. Yep, this is almost like character development. Well, I mean, the town believes in her now because as Leroy goes, so goes Storybrooke. Mm. He is like the personification of the town. Yeah, he's the he's the town's Greek chorus. So everyone's getting totally sloshed at Granny's to celebrate, which seems like a bad idea because that almost always heralds the, you know, new big bad coming in. They know that they're at the beginning of the season, so it's okay. Yeah. The dwarves come in carrying the stone Sneezy with them. Again, it seems like a bad idea to me, but... And uh, Hook and Belle are drinking in the corner, commiserating over the fact that they're both in love with Dark Ones who won't just accept true love's kiss. Yeah, but Hook's like, you know, I spent a century trying to kill Rumpelstiltskin, so I can spend a century trying to save the woman I love. And it's Belle's... kind of romantic. It is romantic, and Belle's like, hey, I'm... Still partially lacy, so I'm up for getting sloshed if you are. And then they did. Meanwhile, Henry has found Violet, who is, uh... Who he no longer remembers meeting. Yes. He impresses her with technology, which is like magic, but better. Yes. This this time a jukebox instead of a nano. But he does play the same song. Yeah. He's looking to get some middle school action. Yeah, he's looking for some real under-the-shirt-above-the-pants stuff. Yeah. And Violet is like... That's weird. I'm really sure I've heard this song before, even though I'm from Camelot. So that is unlikely. Mm. Mm. And she and Henry have a sweet little moment. Yeah. Uh, Don't get too excited, Violet. You are not in the postscript season. Oh. To my knowledge. Yeah, we haven't finished that, so. But Henry definitely has a different love interest when he's all grown up. So David and Mary Margaret are in a booth talking about Emma and David's like, don't worry, we'll we'll figure it out. We always win. And Mary Margaret says, if we win, Emma loses. If she loses, that means she's not the dark one anymore. Like, your win conditions are saving Emma, aren't they? 
are your wind conditions now killing Emma? I'm so pissed at Mary Margaret because unlike Hook, it seems like she's just basically given up on her not being the dark one anymore. So we cut from everyone hanging out and having a good time except Mary Margaret because she's a giant bummer to Emma standing across the street staring at them like a creeper. Yeah, she's standing in front of a store called Modern Fashion. And there's like a bakery called Bakery. So we we talked about this and we agreed that Regina put a lot more thought into coming up with punny names for stores when she cast her curse. Like Game of Thorns for the Rose Shop? Yeah. Whereas Emma just went with clothes, food, and stuff. She likes food. She likes stuff. But she's sad because Dark Ones don't get to party. Yep. Honest to God, Emma, do you really want to spend time with these people? Right? So back in the flashback, uh, Arthur is apologizing for their guest trying to, you know, stab Regina. And Regina's like, well, he had a good point because I was the evil queen and I did kill a lot of people. And Arthur's like, eh, well, what's one more then? It's fine. Whatever. I think this is supposed to be our first hint that, you know... King Arthur is the real villain of this season? Yeah, sort of-ish. Not trusting Emma is the real villain of this season. Yeah, right? But he tells them that Camelot is a place for second chances, and it's fine that they killed one of his dudes. Don't worry about it. In his roundtable room, he takes Percival's shield off of his chair, because all of the chairs have the knight's seals on them, and is all sad about Percival. When Guinevere shows up and is like... French? I don't think we mentioned it earlier, but what is Guinevere's accent? I thought it was French too, which would make sense. Yeah, because Guinevere. Right. Anyway, she shows up and is like, um, maybe we should toss these strangers out since they've been here for about two hours and one of your knights is already dead. Like, one of your most loyal knights died? Like, maybe we should think about having these people in here? And then Arthur reminds us that his Excalibur is missing its tip. Mm. Hate when that happens. And he needs the Dark One dagger to complete it. So he's actually running his own con here. Which again, seems like a thing that doesn't need to be a con. Seems like he could have told them, the Dark One dagger is a part of my magical sword and I need it. Yeah, I know this is a thing for most of Once Upon a Time, but I feel like the real big bad might actually be not communicating properly. Oh, that was a real big bad in Lost as well, so that makes sense. So, back in Storybrooke in her fancy new house, Emma is having a sad because, you know, she doesn't get to hang out with the Storybrooke crew. And Rumpel uh, gives the Mr. Burns speech, you know, the uh, friendship family Religion. These are the demons you must slay. Yeah, he basically tells her, look, the Dark One is always held back by their family and friends. You have a chance to not do that. And this, of course, is a long speech, which is intercut with scenes of Emma's family and friends in the diner, which includes a shot that I absolutely adore of Regina realizing that she totally has the ability to fix Sneezy and it just hadn't occurred to her to do good before. She literally just snaps her fingers and turns him back from stone. It happens in the background. 
She's just like, oh, right, I can do basically whatever I want. And back at Emma's house, Rumpel concludes his speech by revealing to us that Excalibur is in the basement of Emma's house. And just as in the flashback, Arthur's mission is to unite Excalibur and the dagger, here... Emma's mission is to reunite them. And and have one giant dagger. Because if she combines the two of them, she'll be able to snuff out the light forever? Sure, why not? Okay. So she grabs onto Excalibur to pull it from the stone... And it tries to do the disintegration trick on her, but since the only way you can kill a dark one is with the dagger, it just blasts her across the room. And Rumpelstiltskin, as the embodiment of her dark oneness, just kind of laughs at her. Yeah, he's like, did you really think it would be that easy? And she's all, you know, for a second there, yeah, I kind of did. And that was that episode. So, that happened, I guess. You know, I really enjoy the dynamic. I really enjoy the chemistry between Emma and Regina in this season. Yeah, they're leaning pretty heavily on the way these two actresses bounce off one another, which I'm totally fine with. It's this plot flounders a lot. We have a lot of the same issues we had with season three. Is the main issue that the show is hiding too much from the audience in an attempt to be clever? I feel like the show's hiding too much from the audience because they don't really know where they want to go. That could be. It really, really feels like we don't know how Emma became evil. We don't know what Emma's plan is. We don't know what anyone's doing in the flashback in Camelot. There's there's too much hiding the ball and not enough advancing the plot. In fact, there's so much hiding the ball to the degree that we don't really know what people's motivations are. And characters need to have motivations for us to be invested in their plots. It's kind of a basic tenement of storytelling. Yeah, like... You can't just tell us, oh, Emma wants something. Yeah, Emma is evil now, and that should be cool. This show does evil characters really well. But it would be really nice if we knew what Emma wanted. I get that they've hidden the motivations of the villains from us before, But Emma's not just any villain, she's also the person we root for, so we kind of need to know what she wants, the way we knew what Regina wanted Mm. to destroy Snow and David's happiness. Yeah. Also, we could get on board with Regina, because that's what we all want. And I might not be remembering this correctly, but when we do find out what Emma wanted, it really seems like she could have just been upfront about this. So, we don't super have segments except for our standby. Fashion Fashion Corner, Corner, which Emma, weirdly enough, basic black looks really good on Jennifer Morrison. God damn, she looks good in that fitted long coat. Who'd have thunk it? But yes, she's got a lot of very simple basic black outfits that look very good on her. It turns out that when incredibly pretty people wear basic clothes, it works well on them. Yeah, also people with pale skin who have like who goes super, super white hair, which she is doing like this, and then super black clothing. Turns out that's a good look. Yeah. I love Dopey. I wish we got more of him. I think it's a little interesting note that he communicates through, uh... Writing things down on a notepad? Yeah, it really makes me wish we got more with him. Also, the fact that he's wearing purple camo pants is kind of adorable. 
Oh, Dopey. Dopey is actually super adorable. It makes me sad he got turned into a tree and gets basically no screen time. This is what I was saying the other day. We should get a dwarves web show or spinoff or something. <laughs> Gotta remember webisodes. I do remember webisodes. That was supposed to be a thing. Yeah. So, I have a hard time summing up. Oh, also, Mary Margaret was wearing her very distracting dental hygienist outfit, which I know she was wearing it last episode, but it kept on distracting me. It doesn't distract me at all. It's... She's just a bland nothing to me. So, I didn't really have strong feelings on this episode. It was fine. I mean... I'm glad we're not watching this season week to week. Yeah. I'm glad that we have the option of jumping right to the next episode. Because the show is hiding so much from us at this point, it feels like this episode gives you only a taste and nothing substantial. If this was all we were getting for an entire week, I'd be really upset. But since the show is done, and you can binge it all in one sitting if you are so inclined on Netflix, hmm. you know, it's fine. It's fine. It's it's fine. It's fine. Fine. So I guess that's it for this week. Uh, yeah, that'll about do it. This show is partially listener-supported. If you would like to become one of those patrons, you can go to our website, ilovetelevisionzines.com, and become a patron. You can also listen to past episodes while you're there. We'd like to thank our current $5 and above patrons, Beryl, Patricia, Cassidy, Alec, Alex, Alicia, and Ryan. If you'd like to support the show in other ways, you could always rate and review us on iTunes. It helps other people find the show. If you want to talk about this show, head over to our Facebook page, facebook.com slash ilovetelevisionzines. You can also contact us at ilovetvzines on Twitter or at ilovetelevisionzines at gmail.com. So until next week, I'm Max. And I'm Tina. And this has been Welcome to Storybrook. Seven years how long since her eyes spied upon the shore.